0: Good afternoon, so we've been talking about Tunisia for three hours now and we haven't really talked about the Islamists at all, so it falls to me to introduce the Islamists (laughs) into our discussion. Uh, This this panel is um, entitled The Actors of the Revolution, I'm not going to try to claim that Ennahda was a key actor in in this revolution because it's quite clear to us that they weren't. Individuals may have been present in some of the demonstrations, but what's more striking is the overall absence of the movement. I'm interested in how did Ennahda manage to reap the benefits of the revolution, why was it able to rebuild itself so quickly after two decades of repression? What we know about Islamist movements elsewhere in the region is that they mobilise through well-structured organisations, through political parties, social welfare activities, professional associations, uh, grassroots activities on the ground. And what's intriguing about the Tunisian case is that none of these options were available to Nada, and yet the movement survived, not only survived, but emerged as the largest political force after the uprising. And I'm going to talk about three elements of this that I think are important. Youth recruitment before the revolution, um, attempts to revive the movement before the revolution, and the fragmentation of the, of the movement after the revolution. And what I'm going to say is based on interviews I've been doing over the last few months in Seuss, um, interviews for my PhD. Um, Seuss is not a city you obviously imagine is a Islamist stronghold. In fact, it's a, a city better known for its tourism. And for the fact, of course, the Ben Ali comes from Hammam Sus, a northern suburb of the city. But in fact, the Islamists are well-rooted in Sus. Um They've been present in the city since the early 1970s, when there were discussion circles at the mosques there. And from those discussion circles later emerged the MTI and eventually the Nafta movement. And in the elections in 1989, so the first elections under Ben Ali, the Islamists won 32% of the vote. In Seuss. And those were rigged elections, those were the official results. So they had a very strong base in the, in the city, and when the crackdown came, about 800 uh, leaders of the movement were arrested and uh, jailed, and uh, really for the 1990s, the movement was absent um, from the political scene. And enough the members talk about the feeling of despair they had. One of them told me it was like living in an endless tunnel. But that's not quite the whole story. So first, there was a significant effort among a small group of young Islamists to mobilise in the late 2000s. This is well before the revolution. Some of them were sons and daughters of Enatta members. Other ones, though, were new to the movement. And what I think is interesting here is the chain of transmission of ideas. So, for example, one activist I spoke to who is 29 today was a student in Seuss. In 2003, he was at the Higher Institute of Management, which is one of the many colleges of the University of Seuss not from a family of an Inafta member, but personally quite religious. He followed the Egyptian preacher Amar Khalid on his satellite TV. Uh, he also flirted with Salafist activism, which was becoming a growing force, even in Seuss, in fact, particularly in Seuss in that period. And f- in fact, for that, he was jailed, and he spent four months in jail. He was banned from studying. But when he came out of jail, eventually he made contact in his local community with... Um, quite a high level in Nata member uh, who'd been a, a prominent figure in the student movement in the 1980s. They had private discussions and eventually he was introduced to a senior Nata member, a guy called Monzef Ben Salem, who is uh, a maths professor from Sfax. He was someone who'd been in jail himself for a short period of time, but then was living um, under surveillance, but uh, living in Tunisia. And the young activist said to me, I thought it was impossible to meet someone like this. And then there he was in front of me. He gave me great moral encouragement even though he was an old man, he was still talking about working for freedom. And what Ben Salem said to him was that you need to try and train a new core of leaders for the, for the movement. So how did they do this? Uh, he began organising small reading groups in SUS that would meet in the public library sometimes, or in their apartments, or sometimes they rented uh, houses by the beach, um, there were small groups of young people. Another key figure among them was the son of an Inatta activist, a senior Inatta figure, who'd been attending a, an intellectual discussion forum in Tunis run by Salahdin Jorshi, who was a progressive Islamist in the 1970s, and he ran this quite interesting discussion forum in the 2000s in Tunis. Um, this young activist tried to recreate these intellectual debates in Sousse, so they read books, they pretended they were studying for their university courses, And their discussions were not so much about national-level politics. They were about the history of Islam. They were about studies of the Quran, the life of the Prophet, how to pray, fasting, moral questions, what do we do about drugs or smoking or drinking, and also about marking themselves out as different from the Salafists, different in terms of their Quranic interpretation and different in terms of their attitude to the use of force or violence. Elsewhere, young people were trying to operate within existing structures. So... In the College of Law, again another faculty of, uh, at the Seuss University, there were some young people who are today members of INAFTA who were members <coughs> of the, the leftist student union, the UGET. They would not campaign as Islam, openly as Islamists, but they would campaign on issues like opposing the ban on the veil in the university or defending Arab-Islamic identity. This was, I think this was quite important. Defending Arab-Islamic identity against the regime's own cultural values, but also against the French-style Francophone education uh, that they were going through, they had private meetings too, where they would again talk about these moral issues: prayer, fasting, alcohol, drugs, smoking. And it's interesting how some of these issues re-emerge in the first rallies they had after the revolution in Seuss, in the universities. They had um, one rally in April, and you can I've seen photographs of the of the demonstration. They had banners up on the walls saying things like "Arab-Islamic identity," um, "There is no god but God," "Muhammad is His prophet," and "Down with Circular 108." Circular 108 was the law that bans the wearing of the hijab in educational and public sector sector institutions. So there was small-scale youth activism before the revolution, but it was focused on moral issues and Arab-Islamic identity. Secondly, there was a concerted effort by Anatta leaders to try to rebuild the movement. This began in Seuss after Hamadi Jabali was released from jail in early 2006. He was then the number two of the movement. There were other figures involved with him, they would meet. They were under administrative control, which means surveillance by the political police, but there was a small margin of manoeuvre. They would meet in homes of relatives and friends. They did two things. They assessed their past actions, the past actions of the movement over the last 20 years, and secondly, they just tried to regather the, the, the people who had been leading figures in the region before the crackdown, and, and the, the glue that held them together, of course, was the social links that they'd formed when they were in prison with each other. The goals that they had were to get other political prisoners released, fairly obvious, but also they wanted to re-enter political life, and a group of them wrote a letter to the regime saying that they were ready to turn the page, and they wanted a political life for Ben again. And this coincides with what was happening abroad. There was a party congress in 2007 where the movement talked about the need for reconciliation with the Ben Ali regime, and even the idea of playing the role of a constructive opposition. And one of the Sousse activists who was involved in these secret debates told me that they saw a model for this as the PJD in Morocco, the Justice and Development Party in Morocco, which was allowed into the political sphere as long as it accepted the legitimacy of the monarchy. And, of course, these meetings accelerated once the uprising had begun. And what's important is that the people that were doing those meetings then are still the same people today who are running the regional bureau of NAFTA in Sousse. They're not exiles. These are people that lived in Tunisia... Uh, for 20 years, mostly they were in jail with each other and they know each other very well. And that was the basis on which they rebuilt themselves after the revolution. So Seuss is divided into 16 administrative delegations. In each delegation, you had very small groups of NAFTA members, men and women in their late 40s and, uh, in their, late 40s and their 50s. Um, these are the sort of people that emphasise, when you talk to them, the movement's long history of activism, its political path, their conception of freedom as a priority, and the fact that there's a Tunisian specificity to their Islamic project. And so they would start with very small meetings with just one or two people after the revolution. And within a few weeks, these, these groups mushroomed. Uh, they would elect uh, local leaderships. And then the local leaderships in all of these administrative delegations elected a regional leadership. And the leadership they ended up with in the region was, as I said, pretty much the same that they had in the 1980s. And in fact, the leader in Seuss today is the same leader they had in the late 1980s. A businessman who was in jail and then um, lived in Seuss uh, under surveillance uh, for the next 15 years. The third thing I want to say is that there was significant fragmentation within the movement in Seuss. So there are a number of activists who played a key role in the 70s and the 80s who chose not to rejoin the movement after the revolution. They're still Islamists in that they believe in an Islamic project, but they can see a role for themselves outside the movement. So supporting that project, but from outside the movement. And more than this, those who were most involved in the 2000s in making alliances with other political parties and with human rights groups tend to be those who today have left the movement. So there's one um, activist I know who was very active in the 1970s, in fact, he led some of these discussion circles in the mosques in the 1970s. He was an election candidate for NATO in 1989. Went to jail, not for too long, uh, just I think just a a year or a year and a half. Then he joined the PDP, which was a uh, leftist um, political party that was operating uh, in Tunisia. He joined it in the 2000s because it was a protected space. It was a space in which he he could operate. He wasn't by any means the only Islamist in Tunisia to do that. A lot of others did too. Um, But what's interesting is that after the revolution, he didn't rejoin NAFTA. In fact, he set up his own party, which ran not very successfully in the elections. He won 469 votes. Um, And today, he's still outside the movement, although he has very strong personal connections, of course, with um, NAFTAWIs. Um, There's another character I know who was very active in the Islamist student movement in the 1980s. He didn't join the PGP, but he certainly sat in on some of their meetings. He was involved in the uh, October 18th collective, which... We heard a little bit about, earlier this afternoon, it was a cross-party alliance in 2005, mostly Tunis-based, uh, which began with a hunger strike and then turned into uh, a debate that produced texts about a shared vision for a new Tunisia. Um, there were support groups across the country, including one in Seuss, and there was a little hunger strike for a couple of days in Seuss, involving one Islamist. It was quite a fraught operation in Seuss. The leftists were very anxious that the Islamists would overwhelm it. The Islamists were very, very distrustful of the leftists something that dated back to the rivalries that they'd had in the 1980s. But the, the project succeeded to a degree. I mean, they, they sat and cooperated with each other for two or three years and came up with a, a shared vision for a new Tunisia. Um, but again, the, the another activist who was involved in this um, alliance in Seuss didn't rejoin the movement after the revolution um, he's not. Pub- he's still an Islamist, he's not publicly critical of the movement at all and says he very much respects it, but it's also clear that he feels that it's lost an intellectual weight that, it, that for him it had in the 1980s. He's now a lawyer, in fact he runs an association that stages uh, intellectual debates for young people, especially across the ideological spectrum. And there are many others too I've met who were involved in human rights organisations or civil society groups in the 2000s, who then... Re- decided not to rejoin the movement after the revolution. I think some of them were just exhausted after long periods in jail um, and struggling to find work when they came out of jail. That was uh, almost as difficult for them as their period in jail. Some of them do criticise Enata today and say it's become too much of a political machine and it's lost the cultural and intellectual uh, elements that, that were so important to it in the 1980s. Um, and then there are others, as I said, who see their own personal Islamist project as as, as easier to operate outside the movement in an apolitical fashion. Like One of my friends is a civil society activist and he says he couldn't do his job if he was still a member of ANATHA because he wants to be feel, feel free to criticise the movement or to do things that maybe the movement wouldn't condone. Go and visit some particular prisoners in jail, maybe go and visit gay prisoners in jail was one, one point he mentioned that he thought the party wouldn't really condone that. So to sum up what I've said, the movement weren't... Inappanupal wasn't a key actor in the revolution, but nor was it uninvolved in political activity before. There were significant attempts to mobilise on a student level, uh, operating with other opposition groups and with civil society organisations, and in a real effort to reconstruct the leadership as far as it went. And I think this explains why the movement re-emerged so quickly after the revolution, and also explains some of the differences and divergences we see inside the movement today. Thank you.